Hi there, this is Paulina Cameron, CEO of The Forum, where women entrepreneurs thrive, and your host for this podcast. Welcome to season three of The Go-To for entrepreneurs in the know. The Go-To is brought to you by The Forum in collaboration with the Scotiabank Women Initiative and generously supported by the Women's Enterprise Organizations of Canada. I'd like to acknowledge that production of this podcast is taking place on the unceded and ancestral lands of the Coast Salish peoples, specifically the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh and Musqueam nations. On our last season, we dove into resilience and this season is all about the builders, the women entrepreneurs who are building businesses with big visions, building teams with great impact, building stronger communities and growing our economy. They are the women behind the products and services that we admire. Their stories will take us on a journey and give us a peek into what's happening behind the scenes with their businesses at this critical stage of their growth, and will bring forward great nuggets of applicable wisdom and a solid dose of inspiration. Let's dive in. Okay, and just before we dive in, listen up. At the end of the season, we will be giving away a pair of Apple AirPods Pro courtesy of our friends over at TELUS so that you can have a delightful podcast experience on the go. All you have to do is enter to share your feedback. What did you love? What would you love to see going forward? Who would you like to hear from? Submit your thoughts at theforum.ca slash feedback and we will draw one lucky winner at the end of the season. Born in Montreal, Annie Rouleau, the unscented company's CEO, knows how to do business without compromising her values and convictions. She chose to redefine the notion of clean by creating a line of eco-friendly home and body care products designed for conscious living. A mother of two, Annie is driven by her desire to protect future generations. By investing in innovation and eco-design within an industry which sets its sights far from sustainable development issues, she built the unscented company to be a human business, respectful of its employees, the community, and the environment. Annie, so you have really been growing your business, but I also love that really you have been focused on building a business that is more human. And I know that's such a staple for you. Can you take us back to the beginning days though? Like, did you envision that you would be where you are here today with the business? Actually, uh, yes. You know why? Because when I started the business, I was 42 years old. I'd just given birth to both kids. They were like two and four years old. Um, and I knew exactly what type of business I wanted to run. I did not know exactly how I would do it and how it would all fold in, uh, how it would all come about. But I definitely knew that I did not want to compromise on my values. And I wanted to build a business where, you know, I have this thing every morning I walk in. I, I don't want to have stomach ache. I want to have mm. butterflies because I'm happy to walk in in the office. And I'm happy to see that everyone is there that enjoys being in the office and working uh, with the Unscented Company. So uh, today, yes, I can say that um, I'm running a business that I'm happy with the outcome. Mm, 
That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And congratulations on that. You know, I think there's so many definitions of success out there and so many of them are driven by either a specific number or the way things um, things look from the outside. So to have something, have and run a business that also feels so good from the inside, feels like its own little revolution in some way. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I really think that the more and more we're going to grow businesses, I think that the future of businesses, the future of management is changing slowly. Uh, toward being more human and more, um, I guess, more respectful of the environment and the society. So I sure hope that my little gesture and the way that I'm building my business can actually uh, be some sort of an influence sometime down the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Annie, I love to the story of how you started your business. I understand that you sat down in a cafe and came up with this idea partially from a need that you had, um, but also looking at it from a perspective of exactly that, like, what do I actually, what solution do I want to be a part of? What problem do I want to solve in the world? Can you tell us more about that, um, that fortuitous moment when you sat down to create what is now the Incented Company? Well, you know what? It has. I have to come back just a little bit. About at 34 years old, I had the opportunity to uh, to change job, and in between of doing that, I decided to just take myself some time off and travel around the world. For actually, it was supposed to be a few months, but it turned out that I stayed 18 months on the road. And in each country that I visited. I sat down in Parliament to listen to the social uh, economy um, issues that they had. I came mm. back, Paulina, there's one common denominator across every Parliament I sat down. It was the environment. So everyone mm. did not know exactly what was going on, but they all knew that we needed to, uh, to address the issue of the environment. So when I came back um, and I sat down in that cafe, Campanelli, on Notre Dame Street in Montreal, uh, with a blank sheet of paper, and I wrote down my to-do list. And definitely, I wanted to start a business of home and body care products because I was intolerant to fragrances. So since earlier on, from 13 years old all the way down to now I'm 51, I've been doing my own home and body care products because it was quite hard uh, to mm. find truly unscented uh, natural products. And now sitting down, I remember saying, oh my God, okay, this is what I want to do. And I even draw little drawings of bottles of the way and the shape I wanted my bottles to look like. And I said, I'm going to be part of one of the industry that probably creates the worst catastrophe environmentally, which is a single-use plastic packaging. So I said, oh my God, what am I doing? Well, it's exactly what am I doing? I'm going to be part of the solution of making sure I address that issue and try to design all of my products to reduce our plastic footprint. So really from, yes, wanting to have a home and body care product that was natural and exclusively fragrance-free, but definitely designed to not eliminate completely, but definitely reduce single-use plastic packaging. 
So that was my sheet of paper. And then I went on. The first thing I said, oh, well, I need to find a chemist that will help me out formulate because I was not going to do the same formulas that I'm doing in my kitchen. I, I really mm. had a I had a vision that actually the production would be large enough and I could not do it in my kitchen. So I definitely started by meeting a chemist and come up with a formula that I, I wanted to put on the market. Hmm. I love that thinking too around, you know, what is the end state? Like today we might need to start with this and this is what the product will look like, but let's 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 already vision forward for what it might be able to be. And I know that part of that journey probably must have involved a lot of education to possible to future customers and to current customers. And there's a bit of like that changing that customer mindset almost and the habits that they have that needs to happen. How did you approach that? And how are you approaching that? But you're absolutely right. I think that's the question because in 2011, when I started the business, um, I had three strikes. First, eco-friendly products. Well, Annie, it doesn't work and it's made of water. Second, it's fragrance-free. Oh my God, if it doesn't smell lemon or lavender, <laughs> it's not clean because fragrance is associated to the performance. It's deeply psychological. <laughs> Psychologically, yes, but because I've, we've been brainwashed to think like mm -hmm. that. And thirdly, um, I was asking the people to come back and reuse their plastic bottles because everything I would put on the market, I would offer it in bulk. So bulk at home, like refill station at home, but also in-store refill station. So I was asking them to do something a bit uh, more than usual, mm -hmm. which was mm -hmm. to bring back their bottles. So like I said, I had three strikes. I absolutely needed to educate the people on the products. And that's where being efficient helped me quite a bit because I was efficient um, in, in the product was efficient, was performing well, then the people believe that, oh, eco-friendly products do actually work. Uh, mm -hmm. Fragrance-free, fragrance-free, I'm still educating. Uh, mm -hmm. Every day I get that. Oh, Annie, why don't you just offer a little bit of scent very slightly? And the reason why I registered and I trademarked the brand, which is the Unscented Company, it's exactly for that reason, because one day if I have a board of directors meeting or anyone asking me to add fragrances, it's not possible anymore because it's the mm. unscented company. That's so interesting. I never thought about the decision to trademark around a name to solidify almost your stance in terms of what your product and your um, when your purpose is that's such an interesting way to approach it I'm curious like do you see do you see people from the outside like do the people add like oils or something to it oh, like do they do stuff like that <laughs> every every day every yeah. day and I encourage it that's perfect uh, you know what yeah. I think that's the beauty of it the fact that my products are unscented if you can make it yours so I'm curious do you feel that that decision, which is like the corner, a, cor a big cornerstone decision of Absolutely, your business, yes. do you feel like you've traded off or sacrificed anything for it? Like, do you feel you are growing slower or faster? I mean, you're, you're definitely growing. So that's not, I don't think that's a question, but do, what, do you think there have been any trade-offs? Absolutely. It took me much longer to be profitable. I know for mm. a fact, although I'm resilient and I am perseverant, 
perseverante in French. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I persevere. Yeah. Yes, because I really do believe that there's a market for it. So there is a market, and I don't want to be everything to everyone. I'd rather be the reference of unscented product in North America, maybe grow a little bit slower, but not compromise. You know, I love that because it really underscores the um, the need to get really clear on what your values are and what those non-negotiable pillars are and to stick to them and to really also be truthful to know what success will look like. Because I'd be willing to bet that if I asked you whether growing the company 20 times faster would make you feel more successful, but you would have compromised on that core pillar, you probably, well, you didn't. You, you chose to not no. go down that path and not go down that road. Um, and it, I think a lot of narrative around there, around entrepreneurship and around growing businesses says that it's success only if it looks a certain way and whatever Absolutely. it takes to look a certain way. So this is such a beautiful reminder around hey, that you can absolutely stay true to your values and be successful. The path towards it might look different, but mm -hmm. look how great it will feel. I <laughs> love that. So I know that a really important business decision that you made was to become B Corp certified. Mm -hmm. Can you absolutely. tell us a little bit about why you did made that decision and perhaps any advice for entrepreneurs who are considering whether it's worth it, whether, you know, the time that goes into perhaps um, reporting or any of that is really, uh, really needed or valuable? You know what, B Corp for me is definitely, I'm an ambassador, a natural ambassador for Canada, actually, because every time I can plug in B Corp, I do. I met one day, I was in a conference, and the, the, the person I met was uh, Yvon Chouinard, who's the CEO of Pantagonia, and he talked about being a B Corp certified business. So at the end of the conference, I went to uh, Indigo, and I bought a book, which is called Let My People Go Surfing by Yvon Chouinard, telling me that in 1980, he brought all of his staff inside fields of cotton to realize that all of the field was supported, all the cotton was supported by tutors. There was so much pesticide on the cotton mm. that no plant could just be living on its own. They needed a tutor. That image was so strong in my mind that I said, you know what? I am going to become a B Corp. First of all, get to learn mm. what is a B Corp and certified my business B Corp. And when I saw that it's a legal action, meaning you open your status of incorporation because mm -hmm. I'm a finance graduate from University of Ottawa, we learned that the only reason for business is to optimize the value of mm -hmm. the shareholder. Now, profit I agree with shareholders. It's, it's profit that great line, share. right? <laughs> exactly. You just do that. The rest, it's irrelevant. Uh, and But B Corp said, no, no, no. You know what? Profit is important, but not to the detriment of the community and the environment. And that mm -hmm. just resonated for me. So mm -hmm. I've put my consideration of, uh, of the environment and the community inside mm -hmm. my status of incorporation. And I closed it legally. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, uh, B Corp, it was easier because I was already, it was already in my value chain. Uh, the business was already based on eco-friendly products. 
Um, but it definitely made it worthwhile. It took me about six months. Every Friday morning from 8 to 12, I would talk about B Corp. But what it did is solidify the foundation of the business. Mm -hmm. So for me, B Corp was as good to for the foundation of the business and making sure we grow because obviously other people are joining the company. So we need to make sure the values are well transmitted. Mm -hmm. And I love to Annie that you did it pretty early on in your business. Like you didn't wait to be... Um, multi-million dollars already or hundreds of staff, et cetera, but you integrated it from those early days. Yeah, I do believe, I have to be very honest, I do believe it is a little bit easier when you do it right at the beginning. Again, it's so interesting. I'm hearing a bit of a theme here around um, time spent on things being like, and the opposite of that being doing some, trying to do something quickly um, and the speed of that. And so I wonder even you, it, if you have a philosophy around that, like our, how, what is your relationship like to time? I know sometimes when I talk to entrepreneurs, both their personal time and how it's spent, but also there's often the sense of like needing to do things quickly because the next competitor might come in or this or that. And there's this almost sense of constant urgency. Um, how do you feel about that? Oh, it's so funny because I think I feel it more coming from some stakeholders uh, from mm. the bank and thinking, oh my God, the growth is there, but not definitely as quick as it should be. Um, but there's a very important issue here. And when I started the business in 2011, uh, the kids were two and four years old. And my priority was my children, my family. Mm -hmm. uh, and you kind of have to do a slow living. We all know uh, kids demand time. And, and so I made sure that my days at work had a finish so today, um, I'm not running after time. I think, first of all, there's another issue that I have to tell you is that you can grow as quickly as you've got the cash. Mm -hmm. If there's no cash, you cannot grow as quickly. And so I grew, I'm still 100% and I grew the business with the money I had in the bank account to grow. So cash flow was a big, a big part also of making sure I would grow and at the right time with the right amount. And, and that's a... So those two, those two issues. Yeah, no, that's a great one. And I mean, that's part of two, again, the, the narrative around growing a business is go get money so that you can grow faster, right? Like yeah. the, those very much go hand in hand. And so um, it's amazing you own 100% of your business. I think when we had talked, I think you mentioned perhaps um, getting, you know, a line of credit early on, but no, no equity, which is incredible. And was that a conscious decision? Was it because you wanted to align with values? And do you think you'll ever get external financing in the future? Or you want to kind of map against your cash flow as you can? I'm going to try to max it as much as I can. Um, it was a very conscious decision. I wanted to make sure because the business has such a, a mission of, you know what, my mission doesn't read to become the leader of this show in the world. I'm not interested in that. I'm more interested in participating in the movement of reducing single-use plastic packaging. And how am I going to do this with my vision, which is changing consumers' habit? under what mm. values, transparency, inclusivity, socially and environmentally friendly. Now, within 15 seconds, I told you my mission, my vision, and my values. That with, to make sure I find someone that would align with that, 
Uh, I don't think it's the right timing. I do believe we need to be a little bit bigger, stronger, more established to bringing someone to make sure that this values and this mission mission is not compromised. So it's not the right time. Am I going to say no ever? Um, I don't know. Uh, really, for the time being, I don't. I don't envision it. I really like growing with the conventional, um, which is the bank, conventional financing. I find that actually deeply inspiring, Annie, because your conviction around your values there um, feels so strong to me. And I, I, I know how tempting it could be to go after that big growth, shiny mm-hmm. piece and element. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I think this will really resonate with the entrepreneurs who um, maybe are kind of wrestling with that, right, and trying to figure out which way to go. On the point of growing, um, I wanted to ask you to share a little bit around another pivot point that you had identified with your business, which is when Gwyneth Paltrow um, met Mm -hmm. your company when she was visiting in Montreal. Um, One, was it serendipity or did you make it happen somehow? And two, what has it meant for your business and perhaps any advice from an entrepreneur who's perhaps at the same level that you were then and kind of trying to figure out how to to get their own pivot point and accelerate? (laughs) Oh, and I love that word, serendipity. I think that's a very beautiful word, Um, but it was. Uh, One day I received a phone call asking me if I would be interested in meeting someone, uh, but unfortunately they could not reveal the name. And I said, okay, no problem, but where? And they said, well, this hotel. And I said, oh, no, maybe not. No, 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 it's okay. We've got a little cafe. Uh, And when they (laughs) named the the Cafe Myriad, inside that hotel in downtown Montreal, in old Montreal. I said, oh, okay, that's that's pretty nice. It's a nice place, it's a nice cafe. And anyone who would give an appointment there, then I knew it was okay. And um, and that's it. Uh, it was a, I was still a very small business, maybe 1.5 million back then. So in 2018, um, 2017 actually. And so I sat down and Gwyneth Paltrow and Elise Leon, which was only Elise, Gwyneth was sitting, was elsewhere, but her director of marketing came up to me and said, you know what, Uh, we have discovered the Unscented Company and we think the name of your business is absolutely extraordinary because it tells us that we can detox her home by washing more responsibly with natural unscented product but definitely making sure we use as less plastic packaging as possible. And so I I couldn't believe that those girls were in town for a wellness summit and that they were getting a pitch from a soap company. And so I pitched, they said, we love it. Can we bring back some samples? I said, no, 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 I'll ship you a box and you'll get it while you get there. And so I did. Two months later, I got an order for Goop.com. And for me, that moment was just the beginning because from there, the Yahoo Finance wrote on us and uh, the Gazette and all the local paper wrote on it. And that's how I ended up going in the States and start selling the Unscented Company in the States. And also, she's the reason why I showed up on Dragon's Den because Dragon's Den saw the Gwyneth Paltrow piece and they said, you know what, we want you to come and pitch Ah. in front of the dragons. So you know what, there's always a 
moment, a person that makes a difference in your business. And I wish I could tell Gwyneth how great it was. I don't have access to her, nor can I just write her an email, but I really would love to thank her one day because she truly made a big difference in my business. Oh, thank you so much, Annie, for sharing about your vision and your business and your impact to date. I'm so excited to keep following along to see what uh, how it continues to grow and impact next. For those who want to join in the learning and the following, where can we find you online? Well, actually, you can go on uh, the unscentedcompany.com or unscentedco.com, both Facebook um, and Instagram on the website. If you're listening, then we've uh, put a little promo code for you, TUC, for the Unscented Company, FWE 2021. So if you put that code, you'll get uh, a nice discount on all of my products. Uh, and we're distributed across Canada in different retail stores. So it's slowly getting there. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Annie. Thank you so much for having me. We're now going to take a quick pause before we hear from our next guest. The go-to for entrepreneurs in the know is the outcome of a collaboration between the Forum and the Scotiabank Women Initiative. Let's take a moment to hear about a generous supporter. The Forum is pleased to have teamed up with the Scotiabank Women Initiative. Did you know that they have an advisory board consisting of Scotiabank executives who share their expertise during mentorship advisory sessions? They cover a variety of subjects for women entrepreneurs. To join the program, go to scotiabankwomeninitiative.com slash join now. Being an entrepreneur is life-changing, often deeply impactful and energizing, and it can also be overwhelming, lonely, and challenging. Whether you're thinking about starting your own business now, or you've been at it for years, we are here for you. We offer outcome and impact-focused programs, education designed specifically for entrepreneurs, and a deeply supportive community. Our entrepreneurs say that the highlight of their time with us is not only the tangible results they experience within themselves and their business, but also the incredible sense of community with other women who share similar goals, values, and visions. Visit us at theforum.ca slash discover to join us and learn more about how to be part of the community of education, mentorship, and support. Olana Fromi is co-founder and CTO of Hi Mama. Hi Mama is a leading technology platform for preschools and early learning programs. Hi Mama is working to improve outcomes for young children through their products, which bring together early childhood educators, childcare center owners, and their families. As CTO, Alana leads Hi Mama's product and engineering teams as they work to build great products for their millions of users. Alana has been building products for a decade and a half, but in past lives has also worked as an English teacher in France and a logistics manager in South Sudan. She currently volunteers to mentor budding entrepreneurs and girls who are interested in coding. Thank you so much for joining us, Alana. I'm really excited to learn more about you and Hi Mama. So I want you to take us back to the very beginning. Tell us how and why it started. Hi, and thanks for having me. I think the the why for me always was around um, entrepreneurship and creation and tech startups. So just a real passion for 
for the space and, and finding little pockets of value that you can add. So um, really lucky that when a, a product like this, which is also serving such a great social impact, sort of landed my way. I really jumped on the chance. So a bit, I guess, more about the how you say. Um, I was working in tech startups and um, it was through my network. So uh, one of the startups that I had worked with, the uh, two of the co-founders from there wound up being co-founders on our founding board and they approached me with the idea. And then they also approached um, Ron, Hi Mama CEO, and we we really got together. So it's all about the community. <laughs> okay, so there was this great product and great kind of vision. Can you walk us through the building process of it? Yeah, for sure. So I I think we did wind up taking a pretty traditional lean startup playbook approach, but I'm happy to walk through that in some more detail. So, you know, first step is for us, it was really exploratory. We understood that we were interested in this space in particular. Um, one of the co-founders had had a, a young kid, and so we were we were exploring the space of young children, and that landed us in two spaces. It landed us in um, child care specifically, so when the kids go away for care, and then it landed us in the world of how you share moments about the development of your child with your your inner group. And so within that context, we really just went out to, to find the problem that we might be interested in solving. So interviewed 10 to 20 of our target customers um, in a lot of ways. But one way was that Ron actually drove around to child care centers and popped in and said, hey, can we chat? And so... <laughs> really learning about the pain points and the way that they're solving those pain points today. Um, and so for us, we, we got to marry those two things, those two vision pieces from the beginning, because we realized that um, keeping parents in the loop was a huge pain point for them. And they were solving that by literally handwriting reports to send home to the parents every day, which was ex extremely time consuming. And also just at the end of the day, the product that the parents would look at was super, you know, rushed and, and nobody was really happy with this. So it was an obvious pain point. Um, and then we went out to say, how might we build a solution, um, an MVP that really fits this pain point? And so we zoomed in on that. And, you know, for us, it was recreating those reports digitally and making them just rich with media and photos, and that solved the problem of saving time because now the, the, the educators could aggregate it and the parent communication because they felt like, whoa, I feel like I'm there in the middle of the day. I can see what my kids are doing. I can see that they're happy. And so we're really solving both of those pain points with that initial MVP set. Um, you know, and then finding mar product market fit with it uh, was super fun. Um, I would say like the biggest piece there was that we decided to have um, customer success be within product at that point so that we could have that really tight feedback loop of getting, you know, directly from the customers what was working, what wasn't working, become their best friends, or in some case, convert them to being friends from upset <laughs> customers um, and building from there. 
after we we hit product market fit, we really uh, well. I mean, I, I think around the same time, you kind of do them both in, in in parallel. Is establishing the growth model that will really scale your business to the next level. So, as it turns out, driving door to door in our car, talking to childcare centers wasn't it for us. Um, you didn't want to so. pause and develop a cloning machine to support that process, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, those pivots are very tempting, but you know, <laughs> be careful or you might be building clones. So, um, yeah, no, you know, for us, it was, um, it was largely in an inside sales team and also some, uh, really specific, interesting ad market niches. So for mm-hmm. example, we, we found out that there's this ad aggregator site that was really, for whatever reason, well optimized for childcare software. And so we just said, hey, let's advertise with them for, and that took us for a while, you know, but in the end, traction channels, they only have, can take you so far. And our competitors eventually also found out about this and got onto it. So that, that wound up being great for a while, but not forever. Um, Within this vein, I actually really recommend the book um, Traction for this, for figuring that out. I don't know if that's one that gets mentioned a lot, but they have this bullseye framework that I think is great for prioritizing traction at different levels. You know, like what are the initial ones to get you going? And maybe they're not the same of the ones that get you to the next step. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely true for us. Um, So you you mentioned competitors there. I want to come to that for a second. As you were building out, how competitive was this space? And was there anyone, you know, very close to what you were doing or what did that look like? And what does it look like now? Yeah, so we kind of looked at the market at, in in terms of competitors in, in a few lenses at that point. So there was at the time, for sure, childcare software businesses out there, but they weren't providing the same solutions for the same pain points as we were. They were they were more towards billing and administration of the center itself. Mm. Um, so really separating ourselves with from them was important at that st- at this stage to to define that we were going more after a niche and i would say within the niche that we were going after at that point in time there definitely were quite a f- yeah we had quite a few competitors that were popping up it was exciting actually it's it's pretty validating when when other people see see a similar opportunity and want to go after it so so yeah, I mean, differentiating ourselves from our competitors at that point uh, wasn't as big of a priority because I think we were all in that sort of initial product market fit um, mm-hmm. initial phase. But yeah, there definitely are, were a handful. What was your kind of catapult for getting through the noise? Yeah, so ours, um, our angle has always been very driven by our mission and vision which is around supporting early childhood education and early childhood educators directly. So that really weaves into how we build our products, how we market. And it did do a good job as well of setting us up up, um, to differentiate from our competitors. So other competitors might have been more geared towards the technology itself, for example, saying, where you have the best tech. And we were all mm. about supporting educators. Mm-hmm. And did you, you obviously found that that really resonated with both the centers and then the parents they supported. Do you think that was 
you know, not sacrificing tech, but simply being different message forward. Was that what most resonated with the care centers? Like you were kind of, it sounds to me like you were speaking a little bit more their language, which, you know, their priority is supporting the children, making great relationships with the parents. Of course, they want the technology to be good, but that's not necessarily the language they probably lead with. Yes, exactly. And I think that this is another great uh, example of just really knowing your industry and your customer, those things that you just described are the bread and butter of often why people get into childcare. You know, they're really passionate about children and learning and development and, and connection with families. And they're not necessarily um, technology first, you know. So that message definitely... Um, resonated from the standpoint of the customer as well. The one that really stands out is is raising a series A uh, 100%. You know, um, what that did for us is it took us from a little bit of what I was talking about before, which was our, our early growth strategy was very much around, um, around sales and being a sales, sales heavy organization. Uh, but we looked at our goals and we looked at them in terms of business growth. And we sort we saw that what was required to get there was going to be more than that. And it was, we took a look at our competition. Uh, we understood that, you know, there was a fight to fight. We were going to fall behind. And so mm. we raised the series A to build um, strategy that would kind of take us to the next level based on our goals. And, and that involved growing all of our teams. So sales, marketing, customer success, um, operations, product and engineering. Mm -hmm. And that was the 7.25 million Series A that you did. Can you tell us how was that process for you? Like, was there anything that you would say if you were to do it again, you would either do differently or you totally would not do or do? One thing that I was surprised by for that process is is that I think two of the biggest factors in in figuring out who you might want to raise money from had to do with the the type of company and growth pattern that you are and that you want to be. Do you are you selling a a company that's very financially efficient or are you selling a big growth story? Um, the investors on on those two different avenues for business growth are different, and they have different ways that they want to partner with you. So a lot of the decisions about you and how you want your business to grow already help you know narrow down that field a lot. And then the next important thing was really just about values. Um, we're very focused on our social impact and our culture. And it was really important for us that our investor was as well. So finding an investor that's, that was, yeah, focused there. So bringing those things together, and putting them all in a spreadsheet and, and analyzing, and uh, then it becomes kind of like the dating game. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, for sure, I would say that um, resilience is needed. You get a lot of rejections. <laughs> 
Okay, I want to come back to the other piece that you said is really important as you were you knew you needed to kind of grow and invest in, which is the customer service and customer excellence. We had talked a little bit around, you know, how um, how do you become so good at knowing your customer journey and their challenges and really mapping against that and making sure you're providing radical value around that? Can you kind of walk us through what your process has been for that and how do you continue investing and leaning into that? Within our industry, I would say that it's a little bit, I don't want to say easy, but for sure, our industry is very comfortable and used to spending a lot of time on the phone. So Mm. we've really tapped into understanding that about our customers, for example, and we've built a lot of our processes directly around the fact that they like they like that they like phone time and and so we really Mm. wanted to cater to that so I think again going back to knowing your customer I think most people don't want to be on the phone you know but that's not true I was gonna say like real phone or like texting (laughs) phone (laughs) (laughs) exactly um because that's oftentimes how you know they get contacted by their customers. So their parents will call right. and ask and right. to coordinate. So they're very used to it. Um, mm. So I would say that's that that was a big learning and piece for us that we always mm. wanted to provide phone support for our customers. Another thing that we did and, and still do is um, mapping out time to value and, and how long it does it take for customers to get through these things. Um, can you expand on that? Like I'm conscious of some entrepreneurs who might be listening, maybe aren't in the tech world, but I actually think this is a really great learning point that can be applied to various businesses. So time to value. Can you expand on that a bit? Yep. So within, yes, well, so for us, our product is technical, but within our product, uh, we will identify with customers what is the value that they want to be getting from it. Um, and we will, we will take note of that. And then what we will do is plan their learning and programs around it and then keep track of it to see, did they get that? Did they not get that? Um, cause the chances are, if they're not getting there, then they're not going to stick around. So making sure that you understand your value props, making sure that you talk to the customer openly about them. And then making sure that you have the chance to, well, making sure they know how to get there, <laughs> what does success look like, and then making sure you have the chance to to see that happen and, and, and monitor that and check in on that. Yeah, I, I really like that approach because, you know, obviously in the technology world, it's pretty... Li- pretty clear to see when they're hitting certain things or not a little bit simpler. But if you're bringing it down to the philosophy or the principle of, um, you know, every product or service, every business out there wants to provide their customer with something. Sometimes it's solving a technical pain point, but it could be, you know, producing a piece of apparel that makes them feel great in their body. And so there's always some sort of definition of this is what success will look like for the customer when they engage with this product or service. And knowing what it takes and that iterative process around that becomes how you can learn. And then, as you said, fix something or, or shift something or revisit how to get to that endpoint. And as you think about the future of Hi Mama, what do you hope it holds? What is the big, um, big vision, big goals that you guys have? For sure. <laughs> um, I mean, 
for sure, we want to be the top provider in in the child care software space. Um, like I was saying before, we believe that our mission really helps us stand out on this point. From the beginning, we've been been advocates for educators and um, we're just super excited to see how far that takes us. You know, um, right now we, we're we selling directly to childcare centers and we're super focused on uh, improving, you know, their business operations, improving their connections with their families. And there's a, <laughs> there's a world of, of opportunity that, that can help us um, distill our mission through that. So, um, lots of plans for growth. So as you're growing, um, and making the decision points that you've made around, I'm curious, is there, you know, kind of a most important decision that you've made that really stands out for you? Uh, lots, but certainly in the beginning, I think the, the biggest thing for us was determining a niche in the market that enabled us to go after a greenfield space. So in our example, within the childcare software space, there there were already childcare software providers that had been existing in the market for a few decades. Mm-hmm. But they were all about billing and center management tools. So mostly like back office type of solutions. What didn't exist at all was the parent communication angle and the teacher tools in the classroom. Probably because the technology didn't quite exist to truly support a great experience here. Um, When we were getting started, tablets were becoming cheaper. Wi-Fi, even in small businesses, was becoming more prevalent. Um, So this basically meant that at that time, we could get into centers uh, with these new services alongside the already existing software. Um, We could get hooked into providing them with really, really um, amazing solutions to their pain points around, like I said, parent communication. And that allows us now where we are today to start saying, well, you can use our tuition and payments product for your back office um, Mm. needs. So um, getting in and, and saying, in the greenfield space was probably a really important decision that we made. And then were there kind of, I'm curious if there were any kind of subsequent to that pieces that either from that decision stemmed or further, like I imagine at some point you needed to decide around geography or, you know, going up market, possibly down market. How did you think about those approach, those, um, those decisions? Yep. In the early days, you don't, <laughs> you definitely are just excited to have any customers, but yeah. for sure. <laughs> wide open doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good fit, bad fit. We make it work. Um, but um, yeah, no, especially as we grew, that that became a much more important conversation and um, really figuring out where best our product um, fit and where best we could we could make the most impact. In the beginning, we we started in Ontario, and actually that that was a really good geographical ripple effect for us. We we were able basically able to establish ourselves as um, the well known provider, um, and that really again was it was great for launching. But then soon after, we realized that 
we would need to start targeting the U.S. as well. So pretty quickly, we went into that geography. But because of our market, um, child care, it can be pretty different country to country as to how it's serviced. So we're having mm. some luck internationally in some countries whereby like we're a good fit and there might be a private program or an English speaking program. Um, but it's not really as it hasn't been as much of a target for us um, more because of our industry. But I will say that with Quebec, um, you know, we, we do have some of our programs are in French uh, and we also did Spanish to help with um, North America. Thank you so much for sharing those insights. Alana, I really liked lear- learning about that and some really valuable nuggets here for our listeners to take away. For those who want to keep following you and find more uh, about you online, where the, can they do so? Thank you as well. You can definitely find us at uh, HiMama.com or yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Annie and Alana, for joining the awesome conversation today. Our mission at the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs is to amplify the voices of Canadian women entrepreneurs across all platforms. Typically, this time would be used as an ad or sponsor spot, but we've decided to dedicate the next 60 seconds to a woman-owned business in Canada to share their vision. Let's have a listen. Hi there, my name is Melody Reynolds, founder and CEO of Elite Cosmetics, and I dream of a world without waste. At Elite Cosmetics, we create beautifully designed, high-performing vegan cosmetics with an ethical supply chain, responsible marketing, and sustainability at the heart of everything we do. We are striving to create a completely waste-free cosmetic package. Our vision is to educate, empower, and inspire everyone to simplify their beauty rituals to help reduce waste. It's those moments that we spend in the mirror every morning that allow us to plant the seeds of confidence that we carry with us throughout the day. And it's so important to me that we choose products for those rituals that are sustainable and don't cause more waste to end up in our planet. You can support Elate by using the code Elate Loves Leaders for 15% off your purchase at www.elatebeauty.com. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us and listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to leave no woman behind. Explore more about this episode and learn how to get plugged into our community by visiting theforum.ca slash discover and on our socials at theforum.ca. Thank you again to the Scotiabank Women Initiative and remember to visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com slash join now to find out how to join. Huge thanks also to the Women's Enterprise Organizations of Canada for your support. And last, but certainly not least, thank you to our incredible production team, Self-Hired Media. This podcast is also available in French, thanks to our incredible translation team at Hummingbird Translations. See you next time.